Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Setacase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest thoughts and ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life with experts in those fields. I really love thinking about cool stuff, and you're invited to come think with me. Today, we have a episode in, I guess you could say it's in theology, but it's going to be pretty philosophically uh, heavy. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I have with me Dr. Uh, Chris Tweet, and uh, he's an Associate Professor of Philosophy at Christopher Newport University. And we're going to be talking about the Trinity and a novel solution to solve some of the apparent contradictions in Trinitary, uh, Trinitarian doctrine. So I'm, I'm really excited for it. We're going to be going over, um, I think it's still forthcoming, uh, uh, one of his essays uh, that's coming out in Religious Studies. So it's, it's awesome. It's a great journal. It's a really good article. I'm really excited to talk about it. Before we jump in, I want to thank everyone for making this happen. Uh, everyone over on Patreon, all the patrons, you guys are awesome. Like it's been so huge. So many of you guys have been supporting the podcast and uh, helping me get new equipment, helping me get a dog. Just got a, a puppy, our little guy, Theophilus. He's a miniature Bernadoodle. Still be like 50, 60 pounds, but you guys made that happen, man. So I seriously appreciate you guys uh, supporting the podcast. If you want to see me continue doing this stuff, please consider uh, becoming a Patreon patron. You can find a link in the description. And if you join at different levels, you get different um, things that come along with it, uh, mugs and stickers and all sorts of stuff. So check that out in the description, wherever you're getting this podcast from. All right. Without further ado, let's bring in Dr. Chris Tweet, and we're going to talk about the Trinity. So uh, yeah, wish us luck here. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me, Parker. Yeah, this this paper is really awesome. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Before uh, we jump into it, just a little bit about yourself, man. How did you um, how did you come to study philosophy? Like, why why do you want to become a philosopher? Yeah, well, thanks for the compliments about the paper. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, I got interested in uh, philosophy, like many of your, uh, your interviewees, uh, through Christian apologetics hmm. uh, in uh, high school. I, I I had been kind of taught Christianity early on, and in high school, I got to the point where I really wanted to investigate it for myself. Um, I had become part of a, a youth group, and, um, you know, I told people there that I'm, I was considering whether it's actually true, you know, and I didn't want it to just believe something that wasn't true at all. And I was told there that uh, I'm not going to be able to see whether it's true from the other side. I'm not going to see it just looking from the outside. Hmm. I have to enter in, uh, make a commitment, go all in, because going all in is going to reorient the nature of my evidence. It's going to change my outlook on life. It's going to help me to see meaningfulness in life I didn't see before, change the way that I see myself and my responsibilities to others. Um, and I thought, all right, if that's what I got to do, I'm going to do it. Uh, and so I did that. Um, and my reasoning was that uh, you know, if there's a God, then uh then doing this is going to help out. You know, if there's, if there's the Christian God, he's going to help me out. Uh, if there's no God, then uh, this was an experiment that I can get out of. I don't think I'm going to be that delusional. Um, and if there's a different kind of God, then that God is going to, going to help me out of this. You know, I took like one step. I'm willing to commit myself for, for one God. That other God will reroute me, mm. so to speak. And so 
so I jumped on in and um, I wanted to study theology and uh, get to know about uh, religion in general. Sorry, this specific religion. Yeah. And apologetics was my way in because it, it was helpful for me to get things from the ground up. Um, I uh, read books by Norman Geisler, J.P. Moreland, William Lane Craig. And it was really Geisler who got me into kind of heavier philosophy. Um, mm. uh, his Christian books, Christian Apologetics, uh, did like a historical review of different worldviews and different philosophers um, that to me just like uh, piqued my interest. And then also um, talked a lot about Aquinas. And so I started reading Aquinas. Yeah. Which is, which yeah, I saw is, that in the paper too. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Um, was there... Are you, um, was there a particular tr- uh, Christian tradition that you were in or, um, uh, are, do you find yourself in a particular denomination, uh, nowadays? Uh, no, uh, I am, I'm, I'm a generic Christian. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I was, the youth group that I went to was a Baptist church. Okay. Um, I've, I've been going to churches that are, uh, either Baptist or non-denominational, um, and, and been investigating things and, and grabbing from different traditions. Um, and so I'm not sure I, I could put myself in one particular one okay yeah all the uh all my hardcore like presbyterians listening right now are like well if you don't baptize your children then you're a baptist <laughs> so they want to <laughs> they want to box you in there um yeah well so i want to jump in on this paper here man so the the paper title is uh, absolute identity and the trinity and it's in religious studies is that still forthcoming or is that is that out now uh it's still forthcoming okay. i think it comes out in september Okay, awesome. Well, um, I pulled the abstract because uh, it's so interesting, and I thought you know you you spent time to to write it down, so I might as well read your abstract instead of trying to come up with my own. So let me sure. let me just read that really quick, and then we can jump in. Uh, you say Trinitarians are charged with at least two contradictions. First, the Father is God, and the Son is God, so it seems to follow that the Father is the Son. Trinitarians affirm the premises but deny the conclusion, which seems contradictory. Second. The Father is a God, the Son is a God, and the Holy Spirit is a God. But the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. This argument seems to entail that there are three gods. Again, Trinitarians affirm the premises but deny the conclusion. So then in this, ar- in this article, I present a novel Trinitarian solution to these alleged contradictions. The solution allows one to maintain that the premises in the above arguments are absolute identity statements, forestalls the need to develop a new way of counting by sortals or numerical sameness and is compatible with divine simplicity. So that's like, we may have lost some people, but that's okay. They, they'll, they'll come back and we'll, and we'll be able to get them, get them back. But it's, it's kind of, it's a little contrad or it's a little, um, uh, man, it might trigger some people because you said, uh, simplicity, it's compatible with simplicity. And a lot of the philosophers listening hate simplicity so much. So, um, I thought that was really cool that you say, yeah, we can use simplicity to actually, um, aid our Trinitarian reasoning. And you, you say this is novel solution. So again, everyone's hairs are going to be standing up on edge novel and uh, the historical guy is going to be mad at you maybe. And, um, I'm really excited for it. So, um, maybe you could help us out by helping us think through those first uh, two problems for Trinitarians. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so that's a lot to ask, but okay, I'll go over the first problem first, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the first problem is that um, the Father is God and the Son is God, and um, it. I mean, the the clear, I guess, initial thought is that uh, those are identity statements. The Father is identical to God, and the Son is identical to God. And 
identity is symmetric and transitive. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, symmetric relation is where if, if A is identical to B, sorry, I, I got it, I think I got it. If A is identical to B, um, then B is identical to A. Mm -hmm. And then transitivity, if A is identical to B and B is identical to C, then A is identical to C. Yeah. And so given these properties of identity, uh, it follows uh, from the father is God and the son is God, or at least it seems to follow that the father is the son. And uh, that's denying the distinctness of, of persons, uh, which is the um, uh, heresy of modalism. So yeah. according to modalism, uh, the persons aren't really distinct. They're identical. Um, the, the only way you would kind of distinguish the persons is that they're different roles, uh, just like I'm a father and a husband and a uh, employer. Uh, so, you know, the, so God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just different roles or functions or guises of the same being. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, that's the first problem. Um, it, so do you want me to stop there? Or do you want me to talk about? No, that's good. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah. Just, just keep, keep going with the second one if you want, because we can, okay. we can touch on it again. Yeah. Yeah. So the second problem. So, uh, assume that if the father is God, then the father is a God. Mm -hmm. um, now, if that's true, then the father is a God. And the son, tr too, the, if the son is God, then the son is a God. And the same thing with the Holy Spirit, right? So you've mm -hmm. got the father is God, the son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And uh, the father is distinct from the son, right? Mm -hmm. So the father is a God, and the father is distinct from the son, and so there are at least two gods there. And then mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is distinct from the other two. The Holy Spirit is a God. And so there's a third God. And it's almost like uh, suppose God is like a, a human, right? So suppose we were to say Chris is a human, Parker is a human, uh, Melinda is a human. Uh, and Chris is not Melinda. Chris is not Parker. And Melinda is not Parker. Uh, well, it, it follows that there are three humans there. Yeah. And so if is a God is like that, then it follows that there are three gods. Yeah. So um, a lot of people I'm, I'm sure listening are going to be like, well, no, why would I say a, a God? Um, God is not like a, a genus. Mm -hmm. um, right. And, and and so there's not like we, we don't want to say that, that um, the divine nature is multiply instantiable in the same way that like human nature is or something uh, can you, can you help us like motivate, like against that kind of, uh, initial worry that you say, no, I, I would never say that the father is a God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Uh, so the, the first problem is, is almost like, so let me, let me compare contrast the first two problems or the, each mm -hmm. of the problems yeah. and then I'll kind of motivate the second one. The first one is a problem of unity, right? It seems like it, if the father is God and the son is God, then they're the same, they're the same thing. And uh, and so that's a unification problem. The second one is a like a tritheism or diversity problem, yeah. um, where it makes it seem like there are three gods. And so suppose you're trying to solve the first problem. You say that the father is a god and the son is or sorry the father is god and the son is god. Um, but you don't want to have to accept the conclusion that the father is this, is the son. And so you might try to reinterpret what the is means in the first problem instead of saying instead of thinking that the father is god is an identity statement um maybe you think it's uh something like kind membership 
mm-hmm. to say the father is God is to be like the father is family and uh, the son is family and yeah. the Holy Spirit is family or uh, or something like that, where the, it, it, you're not saying that, uh, you know, when you say, uh, you know, Chris is family, you're not meaning I'm identical to family. You just mean like I'm a member of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're doing that, then you could like translate it is a member of the family, right? That Chris is a member of the family and to be a member of the family. God would, would, would be to be a God. Yeah. Right. And so, so that's one thought. Um, yeah. Any, any way that you try to try to retranslate the is, I think you're going to get the consequence that, that um, the father is a God where God is where to be a God is to be, um, you know, a, an omnipotent, all powerful being created the universe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's good to see how they they play off each other. And uh, the theologian friends say uh, the the two ditches, right? There's the the ditch on one side of modalism and the other ditch of of tritheism. Um, what what if what if someone said like, uh, uh, if you listen to the uh, Lutheran satire video, um, partialism, Patrick? You know, like what what if what if you said. Uh, they the three persons mutually uh, ground each other, such that like the divine nature is not over and above and, and multiply instantiable or something by three persons, but they mutually ground each. The Father grounds the the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit grounds the Father, such that you um you there one can't be God without the others. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, suppose suppose the family move doesn't work, right? It, mm-hmm. It's not enough just to say that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God in the sense that they're all family. Uh, and suppose you're like, okay, we need something a little bit more unif- unificatory, right? Yeah, um, between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so now suppose you say something like, well, uh, really, they all act in unison, Right. There's a move you can do. They all act together. Yeah. Uh, still, you can have three family members that all act together. Right. And so it doesn't solve the tritheism problem. Um, and so maybe you say something like, well, they're all dependent upon each other. Like one can't exist without the other. And yeah. they act together. Right. So now yeah. you've got like three things acting in unison all together. Each one is a god. And if one were to like blip out of existence, the other two would blip out of existence simultaneously, right? So they're like uh, mutually dependent upon each other in that sense, or or they ground each other or something like that, or one can't do something without the other's cooperation, but they necessarily all cooperate together. Uh, it still seems like you've got three gods there, right? Hmm. They just happen to work all together. And there's other work too, like maybe you've got uh, maybe the, the three-headed dog, uh, Kerberos, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so maybe you've got like three persons that way. You've got like three thinking things, um, but they're all they like share the same body in mm-hmm. in an analogous sense. Uh, with, yeah. And so, and still, you might think something like, "Well, that's three gods that like share something," um, or maybe you go the numerical sameness without identity route. And so, mm-hmm. uh, th- this is one solution where. Um, uh, so here's another model, right? So we, we've yeah. been talking about models, right? Models yeah. like the family that the 
three that act in unison and all depend yeah. on each other, uh, the three-headed dog. And then uh, you've got the pillar model um, yeah. where the same lump of clay makes up a pillar and a statue and a cup holder, right? So there's mm-hmm. this like thing that supports a, a, a building. It's made into a beautiful statue and it's got some cup holders on it, right? So yeah. you've got like, you've got really three things there, um, but it's all made up of the same lump of clay. Yeah. And here the lump of clay is like the divine nature. And then the, the individual things like the statue and the, the cup holder and the pillar uh, are all the persons. Or, yeah. um, and so uh, now we, we, we say something like, well, there's one thing there, uh, but in a sense, there's three things there. There are three mm-hmm. things there, the, the statue and the pillar and the cup holder that are all uh, in a sense, the same thing, like that thing you point it and you count it as one thing. Right. Um, and so this is like um, uh, Mike Ray and Jeff Brower's method. Uh, yeah. Constitution uh, view. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so here, uh, I mean, this is, I think, probably the most successful, in, in my mind, the most successful solution to this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not going to go the, the route that I, I explained in the paper. Um, so here, uh, we've, we've still got problems. Uh, so I think one of the problems is that uh, the divine nature is the thing that makes up these three persons. And then we can ask, okay, where's God in the picture? Um, what's God? <laughs> you know, yeah. Is there one thing that is God? Or are there three things uh, that are God? And uh, and the, the answer that we get is that God is an ambiguous name. Hmm. Um, so God can refer to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Um, in which case, you know, you might, uh, so this is, I think, Dan Howard Snyder's uh, critique of them, right? You, you like, uh, so, okay, so it's like God, the Father, uh, God, you know, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they're uh, they're really distinct, um, and so the way of symbolizing that there are three gods works here. So, um, in, it you know in in logic it's like you know you got a capital G and then you've got the cons or you got the you know um, you've got the the constant there. So yeah. uh, the father lowercase F with the capital G, the son lowercase S with the capital G, yeah. the Holy Spirit. Uh, in lowercase hs with a capital g and that one's not that one and that one's not that one well you've got now three gods hmm. uh, that are all um that are all distinct from each other it seems to follow that there are three gods even though like when you look they're all located all co-located and they're all constituted by the same thing hmm. it's like there are three gods that are all constituted all together yeah and so that, that's one critique of that view um and another one is that there's there's a lot of complexity in the Godhead, and so maybe you want to think the Godhead isn't that complex. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, <clears throat> that's another good point. Is that a so is is um, the Constitution view? Is that a relative identity view? Because you're you're saying like it, it depends on how you're counting, or um... uh, it does have to do with how you're counting, um, yeah. but it's not a relative identity view. Okay. Uh, sorry. No, it is a relative identity view, but it's what's called an impure relative identity view. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Right, yeah. So, I wanted to talk about those two. Yeah. 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 Pure yeah, and impure. Pure relative identity view. There's no absolute way of counting at all. Yeah. You can't count okay. by things or beings or entities. There's no like maximally general sortal by which you can count. 
So you always yeah. have to pick some sort of sortal or kind term and count by it. Uh, so you can you can choose to count by persons, in which case you count three. Uh, you can choose to count by God, gods, in which you can't count one. But you can't choose to count by things and count like four in yeah. the in the Godhead. Yeah, I, I think um, I think of Peter Vanwagen. I think he he goes with relative counting here. Um, That's right. Yeah. Why? Why couldn't you? Why couldn't you go by things? I guess. Why couldn't you say like, uh, God is a thing, and persons are things, and there are four things here. Yeah. Good. So yeah, maybe you could count four things in the Godhead. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it seems like it's been a long time. So let's see. Um, Maybe kinds is vague or something, and and there, or are things? Sorry, things are, are vague, and there's no, 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 um, no. I think it has to do with um, with something else. So I think I think the problem would still be generated. Yeah. Right. So so you might be able to say something like that: that father is the same God as the son, and the father. Uh, is not the same person as the son, mm-hmm. but you could still ask the question, is the father the same thing as the son? Yeah. And I suppose you would have to say no to that question. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the father is not the son. And so, um, so then I think you're getting into numerical sameness without identity. Right. So now you're, now you're counting by things you're counting complexity in the Godhead um, but you're also having different ways of counting. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe the hard part is um, with the is there, you're trying to figure out what the is is counting by. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's going to be vague regardless. Uh, yeah. Or, or ambiguous. I'm sorry, not vague. Ambiguous. 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 Um, This is good. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, well, and I, I, I'm just. Uh, I don't know exactly why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll have to check out um, PBI stuff on that again because I remember thinking it was really interesting, but not being like wholly uh, convinced by it. Um, so, so in the paper, you say that you're following uh, Aquinas's Trinitarian task, which is to provide a way uh, to dispel contradictions rather than to understand the Trinity. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty cool. Well, Aquinas said it, so it, it, you got to consider it. But I think it's a good way to to go because we're not saying like we're not make the Trinity comprehensible so you can totally understand it. But no, it's it's a way of dispelling contradictions that kind of attack the doctrine. Um, and we've already talked a little bit about pure and impure uh, uh, identity, relative identity strategies. But first, first you go over. Um, you said there's like two extant uh, solutions. One is. Uh, the, the pure and impure relative identity strategy, but then there's also this uh, predication strategy. Um, can can you help us with the predication center strategy? Maybe we already touched on it a little bit. Yeah, that was similar to the family strategy, where okay. um, you know, just like uh, you know, Chris, um, Parker, and Melinda uh, can all be family or all be humans. Uh, so similarly, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all uh, gods. Yeah, in, are all God in that sense. Yeah. Um, okay. And so that's the predi- you're predicating a kind of the individuals. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. And the, the yeah. predication problem has this uh this problem that it looks like you're 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 saying there's three uh there's three gods maybe. Um, yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So some some people often in in apologetics I'll hear this too. Um people will say, "Look, this is not a hard problem at all. There's one divine nature and there's three persons and that's that." Um like I I affirm that. I think that's true. But when you go to try to understand what that means, that's where you get all these problems. And you, you do have to take it seriously. It's not so simple that you can just say that one nature, three persons, when you have to like start thinking about it more. Um, can you, can you, what, what's wrong with that solution? Why, why is that not, why can't we just easily go, look, one nature, three persons, no problem? Um, well, well, you could do that. And, mm-hmm. and that's definitely safe, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it's very risky to write a paper on the Trinity because one, one of the easiest ways to be a heretic is to try That's to right. take a position on the Trinity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so if you do, then there's a question about whether you think the father is God, uh, mm-hmm. whether you think the son is God and then uh, what it commits you to. Yeah. Um, and so th- these problems loom, right. And, so we can just say something like, I have no idea how to deal with that problem. I'm, I'm pretty sure the problem has a solution somewhere, but I don't know how to deal with it. I just affirm that there's, you know, one divine nature and three persons. Yeah. Um, but that's not really, I mean, that's not really doing theology, right? Part of, part of the theology and um, uh, the theologian's task is to understand God as best as we can, you know, in this end. Right. And uh, you know, also, I mean, there's an apologetic task, too. I mean, so suppose someone says, look, I'm not going to believe, uh, you know, a, a religion that entails these contradictions. That would be that'd be irra- it would be irrational. Mm-hmm. And and so you can say, oh, yeah, just, you know, just just shove that one off to the side and just ignore that, you know, yeah. about about one of these things. That's the most fundamental doctrine of our religion. Just, you know, ignore that problem. Um, and so then, you know, someone could could reasonably say. Well, yeah, you know, other religions are telling me to do that too. You know, why should I right. believe yours? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's important to have resolutions to these contradictions. Although I do think it's really important to acknowledge that we can't really understand uh, God that well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we have limitate, we have cognitive limitations in our understanding. And yeah. so uh, uh, about about earlier, you said. You mentioned about the model. Yeah. Um, Aquinas doesn't really offer much in the way of a model. Hmm. Uh, he does. Uh, oh, so here, here's something interesting. So in the in the Summa Theologica, uh, it's in three parts. Uh, first part's on God. Second part is on creation. And third part is God's coming down into creation, um, hmm. Jesus and the incarnation. Um, and the part on the Trinity, the, the Trinitarian doctrine is in the very first part, right? He's talking about God. And so he includes stuff about the Trinity. And, and uh, oddly enough, the stuff about the Trinity is, uh, starts at question 27. And sim- divine simplicity is established in question three. <laughs> so, right? so they're really close together. Hmm. Um, and then uh, take his uh, Summa Contra Gentiles. Uh, so this is another large work. And this uh, has four parts. And the first part is God. The second part is creation. The third part is providence. And the first fourth part is special theology. Mm. Uh, stuff that you wouldn't be able to tell except for the fact that it was revealed. Yeah. 
And the stuff about the Trinity is not in that first part. It's in the, th it's in the fourth part. It's in the special <laughs> theology part. And um, the Summa Contra Gentiles has a different audience, an, an audience that doesn't accept Christian revelation, whereas uh, right. Summa Theologica's audience does. And so this shows that he thinks the Trinitarian stuff is really heavily dependent on revelation, on special revelation. Yeah. And with respect to that stuff, he thinks you should believe it. Um, and then uh, you don't have to believe much more except to show that it's, it's, uh, it's all consistent with the, with, with the, um, the other statements of uh, special revelation. Yeah. So when, when he treats the Trinity, uh, he alludes to some things. Um, so he mentions, for example, that, uh, so he compares the word of God to the like interior word of a person, right? Mm -hmm. So a word, you typically think of it as like a spoken or written word that comes out, but there is an idea of that, like a concept of the thing that's spoken yeah. and that, that exists in your mind. And the, the better your understanding, the more perfect your understanding, the more perfect that idea will, um, you know, conform to the thing that's actually you're trying to think of. Right. So like your, your mind conforms to the thing thought of and God is a perfect being. And so God is, thinking of himself, right? <laughs> and so perfectly conforms to himself. And so they're identical, but there's a kind of opposition there. The word is a word insofar as it's issued forth yeah. in, the, in the understanding. And so there's a distinction, but an identity there. Um, and he also says, uh, so the fact that the second person of the Trinity is called the son is called the son because um, it's a certain kind of generation, a certain yeah. coming forth, but it's a generation of the same nature. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so coming forth of the same nature. So the nature, the, the thing that's coming forth from is God, the thing of the same nature is itself going to be God. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, that unfortunately the Holy spirit doesn't have those really cool, like before <laughs> us. Right. Yeah. But that's the closest Aquinas comes to um, giving us any sort of a model um, for what the Trinity is. And he's borrowing that from Augustine. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then you could yeah, like the psychological analogy esque, and and then you just add in uh, um, Saint Richard or, or something, and, and say, well, uh, it's the love between the Father and His conception of Himself. Uh, that's yeah. you know the spirated Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, well, I I, I like uh, I like Contra Gentiles better actually than the uh, the other Summa. Um, yeah, it's good. It's really good. I, I my my like life's goal is to disprove them now and say that we can get uh, the Trinity from natural theology. Um, so it's it's not going very well for me right now, but uh, but someday maybe I can I can uh, <laughs> I can get past uh, Thomas there. Um, I I wanted to talk about your novel solution here. Um, if we can, it's going to be tough because it's it's technical and it's really good. It's it's but some sometimes those things are better written than talked about but we can i think we can still talk about it and and give the uh the listener something to to chew on themselves i from from my read of it um the, your novel solution is kind of two solutions semantic strategy and metaphysical strategy does that sound right yeah i i really consider it to be the the same solution so i think okay. that semantic strategy um does all of the work and then the metaphysical one is just for people who think, uh, you know, <laughs> I want something more. Okay. I, I sketched the brief metaphysical uh, strategy that kind of underlies it. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so the metaphysical strategy 
underlies the semantic or does the semantic because yeah that sounds right it's weird to go with words instead of reality right like the the words aren't aren't dictating the reality but the, there's this reality undergirding and that's why the semantic yeah, solution that's works right. that's right okay okay that's how i'm thinking uh, of it okay sweet um so in the semantic strategy you utilize um like opaque con uh context like pretty pretty heavily um yeah. and, and co-referring terms can you can you lay it out for us? Like, how is this? How does it work? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, in it, I, I take the first problem first. Right? So, the father is God and the son is God. And in order to get to the conclusion that the fa the father is the son, uh, you have to do some substituting. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you take you take the first sentence: the father is God, and you you, um, you substitute something for God, which is the son, from the second premise. And then you can conclude that the father is the son. So there's some substitution that's going on. I want to try to try to accept absolute identity and transitivity, but deny that the substitution can happen. Mm -hmm. And the only precedent that I've that I've had for this is uh, is in uh, philosophy of language, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, so suppose Lois Lane knows that she loves Superman. Um, that's the that's premise one. Lois Lane knows that she loves Superman. And premise two is uh, Clark Kent is Superman. Uh, and so you use the premise two to do the substitution, and you're supposed to conclude Lois Lane knows that she loves Clark Kent. Mm -hmm. um, and each of the premises are true. Um, so Lois Lane does know that she loves uh, Superman. Uh, Clark Kent is Superman, but it doesn't follow that Lois Lane knows that she loves uh, Clark Kent. And uh, the reason that that conclusion doesn't follow is that there are um, opaque contexts in the first premise and that the context is opaque after knows that. And what it means for a context to be opaque is precisely that substituting co-referring terms like Clark Kent and Superman into that opaque context doesn't guarantee true, doesn't guarantee uh, um can't happen salva veritate. It doesn't yeah. guarantee the same truth value as the initial premise, right? So the initial premise that Lois Lane knows that she loves Superman is true. When you do the substitution, it doesn't guarantee that the resulting sentence, Lois Lane knows that she loves Clark Kent, is uh, is true. In this case, it would be false. It's not guaranteed. Yeah. Um, so I use that idea of opaque contexts and in uh, in these kinds of things, you can use it with Lois Lane believes that, you know, Lois Lane hopes that, uh, Lois Lane opines that, you know, mm -hmm. you can have all those like mental contexts. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to get outside of that because, uh, I mean, the, so the, a similar sort of thing is happening with uh, the father is God and the son is God. I wanted to make it so that God there is in an opaque context. And so substituting a co-referring term, the son for God doesn't guarantee the truth of the conclusion that the father is the son. Yeah. And I wanted to be able to get out. I wanted to make it so you didn't have to have like a knows that or opines that or believes that uh, before the opaque context, because that's not present in the father is God and the son is God. Right. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I kind of, when I was reading Aquinas, I, I, I thought this is his solution. He thinks that there are opaque contexts here. Um, Aquinas even refers to things. He, he says something like, well, uh, that personal name and the divine name 
mean different things or signify different things or express mm. different things or can be considered in different ways. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same thing considered in different ways. And that seems to me to be like the mental sort of thing, right? Um, when Lois Lane knows something or, or believes it. But uh, but in order for the, the conclusion of that first problematic argument not to follow, we can't have, we can't, think that there's going to be a fix, some sort of intentional state. Of, of yeah. Problem, right. We don't want it to just be that the conclusion isn't something that you thought of. <laughs> we want it to be, <laughs> you know, it's just not true. Yeah. Um, and so Does, would it help to, to talk about like intentionality with an S and extensionality or, or is that, is that, is that at play here? Like, is it, we can't substitute terms because the, while they, uh, while Clark Kent and Superman both like refer to the same, being the the intentionality is off or something like you you can't substitute because you don't get the same the the same product at the end well um i'm not sure that would help a whole lot because because meaning is hyper intentional right so even if you've got things that are necessarily coextensive yeah um you know i did that you know substituting one for the other is going to yield sometimes a different truth value right well, so if we point that out, doesn't that help motivate the opaque uh, context and say, like, look, see, because of this, this is why we can't just have raw extensionality going on? Um, well, on the linguistic, I'm not quite sure. On on the linguistic strategy, um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure why that helps. I mean, yeah. on the linguistic strategy, what I needed was some sort of way of making it like somewhat plausible possible that there could be an opaque context without being in someone's head, right. Mm. Without being, being thought of or having someone take an attitude toward it. Yeah. And that's why I use, I, so um, oddly enough, I have stuff about Spinoza in this paper. Yeah. I caught that. Yeah. That's why I use that. And um, you know, I had, I'd kind of had in my head that Aquinas held the solution. I didn't at the time, I hadn't at the time researched contemporary solutions in order to know why, um, you know, what, what those solutions were. So I didn't know whether this was already held. Yeah. Um, but um, soon after I had a grad class on Leibniz and Spinoza, and we were reading some of Spinoza's stuff and reading, you know, uh, Michael De La Roca's interpretation of Spinoza. And, um, and I thought, Oh, there it is. There's someone who thinks that there can be opaque contexts that are created, even though there's no attitudinal state that prefixes mm. it. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, that's why I mentioned the De La Roca thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that helps. Uh, I think, I think maybe the reason I was thinking that is because um, later you say content, content can determine uh, whether the terms are substitutable. And yeah. so, um, so the, the context can, but the content can as well, right? The the context can be uh, opaque, but also maybe the can the content can also determine whether or not it's uh, this term is substitutable. Yeah, yeah. So the position that I have is that that the content of the very phrases determine where the opaque contexts are. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. And the and the opaque context is an actual thing out in reality. It doesn't just have to do with our ways of knowing or epistemology or anything well so right now we're talking about arguments right yeah. and so 
it has to be around a certain linguistic. It has to be in a linguistic context okay. in order to get the conclusion from following from the premises in the argument. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so the context isn't something that's like out there in the world, right? There's okay. stuff out in the world, but whatever's going out there in the world makes it so that we can't make these argument, these valid arguments that create the first problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there is something going on in the world that's that's determining uh, our arguments and, and whether they're successful or whether we can think about things in a certain way. That's mm-hmm. that's helpful. So it's not just it's not just our problem. It's it's it has it's something to do with the nature of what we're what's in view, right? Uh, yes, that's right. It has something to do with the nature of what's in view. That's right. And so that's okay. the, that's the metaphysical yeah picture that I sketch. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm get, getting ahead of us here. That's fine. But, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, so we got we got uh, Clark Kent and uh, Superman. Um, now bringing it bringing it back uh, again uh, to to the Trinity. Um, yeah, how do we how does it, how do we like bring it to to fruition here? All right. Um, so I I've, I note that in the first problem when we have the Father as God. Uh, we have something that has to do with a, a we have a person involved description is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be a person involved description or name. So any description or name that involves some sort of, sort of person of the Trinity, um, like the Father is. Whenever we have a sentence involving that, then it introduces an opaque context. Yeah. And so the opaque context is around God. And same thing with the Son is, and then we have an opaque context. And so what we try to do is, with a second premise, substitute into that opaque context. Um, but since we're substituting into an opaque context, the conclusion doesn't necessarily follow. And so yeah. we have an invalid argument. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's the person-involved descriptions that, that are the content of the sentence that introduce that particular opaque context. Yeah. I, I, um, I didn't have this in mind when I was reading, so I didn't pay as much attention, but... I think you talk about, I think you talk about the the concern that this is ad hoc. Did, mm-hmm. Do you do you address that? I think I saw that. Yeah, um, it is definitely ad hoc. Right? Okay, <laughs> that's the whole point of this. Um, yeah, the, the idea, and like I'm following Aquinas and his like Summa Contras and Teles now. That the idea is we yeah. got this Christian doctrine. Um, it it's supposedly the orthodox doctrine. It's the stuff that we ought to believe. Yeah. Now we just need to show it's consistent. Mm. So if we've got these arguments that show it's inconsistent, we just have to show that the arguments fail. Uh, we don't have to try to understand it better yeah. than that. You know, as long as we have a reason to think that the arguments, you know, don't don't succeed, then we've defended uh, Christian doctrine. Yeah. And the idea is not that you have to be a Christian in order to accept the solution, right? Uh, the idea is, you know, if you were to accept these 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 doctrines, yeah. then this is a solution you can endorse. So you can see it as a, as a possible part of a package deal. Yeah. So that, you know, if 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 you're not within the tradition and you look in and you're trying to investigate whether these trinitarian doctrines are inconsistent, well, now here's a reason to think that it's not necessarily so. Okay. Yeah, I, that's such a uh, uh, helpful point to say. Like, it's it's a conditional, and it's showing that it's internally consistent, but it's not necessary. It's yeah, it's it's summa contra gentiles. Like, given that you're a Christian, here's here's what makes sense. But it's not an argument for um, for the Trinity for someone who doesn't affirm the Trinity. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool, and that's that's really helpful to to narrow it in to say here's what we're doing with it. Yeah. Okay. And so that's fun that you can be like, yeah, it is ad hoc, but so what? Yeah. That's that's the whole point. Yeah. I mean, yep. That's that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think all of, I mean, it, everything there in um, like trying to show that Christian doctrine is consistent is just going to be ad hoc. Mm. I mean, you, you could try to like subst- you can also have like non-ad hoc moves. You can say, look, look, it makes total sense because here's what we antecedently think about the world and like this doctrine makes sense of it. You can do that, but yeah, but that's not necessary. Right, 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 right. That's, that's good. That, that's my goal someday. <laughs> I would love to do that. I tried to do it with, with like a, like Donald Davidson's triangulation argument, but it's kind of a big bullet to bite his argument and then run it backwards. But um, if you, so then it's got to be conditional. Like if you're a Davidsonian, then you can like, you ought to believe in Trinity, but well, the, yeah. well, the problem is, um, even trying that strategy, you're talking about what you antecedently believe yeah, and, and what a person antecedently believes is going to depend on a whole bunch of other stuff. They their priors, their experience of the world in a certain kind of way. Yeah. Um, it, GK Chesterton's uh, book, Orthodoxy. I don't know uh-huh. if you've ever read it. It's, for it's for sure. Great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But, but he talks about, um, the man who thinks he's a chicken. I think this is in the preface. There's the man who thinks he's a chicken and, you know, uh, to him, it's not weird at all that he's clucking like a chicken, right? He, yeah. he, he thinks it's world, weird that other people aren't clucking like chickens, right? And everyone looks on him and thinks that he's weird. And, um, you know, Chesterton's idea there is that, uh, look, you, you look at things differently from a different perspective and things are going to seem weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're looking at it from the perspective of the, of the clucker or the, the perspective of the, the uh, people looking on. And so... I think depending on where you're positioned, it's, uh, you know, some of the stuff that you might think is plausible are, are not going to seem plausible or some of the inferences that you think you could make aren't going to seem uh, plausible to other people. Yeah. And this is, this is what I was uh, talking about early on with it. You know, what my youth group had said, you know, where sometimes you have to see things from the inside in order to, mm-hmm. it's going to be an evidential shift. And so sometimes those moves might not be plausible. I mean, it might not work for a lot of people they might just not see what you say look here's an independent independently plausible thing yeah so the best thing you can do there is just to show them that uh look this other view that you're not within right you haven't kind of tried this on you're just considering it from the outside um this other view at least it's not contradictory yeah. <laughs> right so so there's that yeah that's and that's big yeah i think that's really big um it reminds me of uh yeah, like the, there's the person relativity of of arguments, um, and so you're saying like, look, I, I get that you have these priors, you have the like, you think that that it's not going to move you, but yeah, like if you're saying that there's this is a contradictory view, come step over here and look at it from this way, and you can see why it's not contradictory. Mm-hmm. So you can have other reasons that you don't you don't agree with it, but it's not because it's uh, internally inconsistent or something. Yeah. And for similar reasons, uh, the solution that I propose in this paper might have more pull for someone who already is inclining toward divine simplicity, mm-hmm. right? Where, um, you know, where, where the other solutions might not have seemed very plausible uh, because they all involve complexity within the Godhead. Uh, this one doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about simplicity and why, like, um, yeah. Like, how, how does this one... Um, how does simplicity help with, with this solution? 
Yeah, so suppose we have the, the solution to the first problem already. Um, and so there's just opaque context around God. And so you can't substitute in to, to yield that problematic uh, conclusion. Um, then you still got the second problem, right? And so uh, in order for the second problem to even like have purchase, we have to think that to be a God, or to be God is to be a God. Yeah. Right? And, and you asked like why we would think that. Um, mm -hmm. It was a good question, right? Um, according to the proponent of divine simplicity, uh, to be a God just is to be God, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in order to, uh, there's no division in God. There's no parts of God, but also whatever is predicated God, of God just is God, is identical mm -hmm. to God. Um, there's no uh, subject accident, uh, you know, a predicate, predicable sort of, sort of distinction in God. Yeah. You know, there's, there's just God. And our thinking of God as omniscient or omnibenevolent is a certain way of thinking about God. That, that distinction between omniscience and omnibenevolence in God is not a distinction within God uh, yeah. himself. Um, and so similarly, um, it's not true that there is a thing that is a God, mm -hmm. right? Um, because that would, that would be some sort of predication of God that's not identical to God. And so to be a God just is to be God. And so instead of the first premise of that second argument being the father is a God and the son is a God, or the second premise being the son is God and the third premise being the Holy Spirit is God. We just have the father is God, the son is God and the Holy Spirit is God, um, which is the premises we had in the first argument. Yeah. And then um, the next three premises are the son is not the, or the father is not the son, son is not the Holy Spirit and the father is not the Holy Spirit. And so they're distinct from each other. And that does not get us the conclusion that there are three gods. In order to get that there are three gods, you need to have like capital G, lowercase f, right? Capital G, lowercase s, capital G. And you don't have that. Instead, you have F equals G, where G is the name of God, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have something predicated of Father. And you have S equals G, where G is the name of God. Um, you don't have capital G, lowercase s. So you're not predicating God of three entities. In act, um, instead, you have three entities that are the exact same God. They're identical to God. Yeah. And so I think, again, this method is like, um, it's, it's ad hoc in saying like, if you are holding, if you hold, if you hold these doctrines, here's how they make sense. If you hold the simplicity, here's how it helps you make sense of this. Mm -hmm. if, if someone says like, um, you know, uh, on the doctrine of simplicity, uh, whichever one you go with, um, and, and this might actually matter because some you might say, well, I don't hold to a super austere one, but uh, you know, wisdom and justice are different to us, but um, God's wisdom is His justice because that that's what simplicity means. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't I could see people saying like, well, if that's the case, everything in God is God. Um, his wisdom is His justice, but we see it like a, a a white light going through a prism. We can see red and green and all sorts of different colors. Mm -hmm. That if you apply that back to the persons of the Trinity, doesn't doesn't don't we get right back to the problem of the the first problem of of the Father is the Son in the same way that the that His wisdom, it God's wisdom is His justice. Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, so suppose we tried to make the arguments. Uh, suppose we tried to. So um, we have that first problem, right? The Father is God and the Son is God. 
Mm-hmm. And I had a solution to that. And the solution yeah. is uh, the conclusion doesn't necessarily follow because yeah. you have to substitute into the opaque context around God. Yep. And that opaque context yeah. is just there because we have the father is, which is that person involved description that creates that opaque context. Person, yeah. So now let's, let's run the parallel argument, right? So um, God is um, omnibenevolent. Uh, God is omnipotent. Do we can we conclude that omnibenevolence is identical to omnipotence? Uh, well, we don't. We can't conclude that. Or, or sorry, because it's not a person involved context. We we can conclude that because there's no person involved context. So yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it wouldn't follow that omnipotence is is uh, equivalent to omnipot omnipotence is uh, equivalent to omnibenevolence, but it would follow. You'd have to do like uh, God is the omnibenevolent being. And God ah. is the omnipotent being. And so you conclude that the omnibenevolent being is the omnipotent being. And that, that can go through. That works. Because there's no person-involved description to create an opaque context that prevents uh, substitutivity, salva veritate. This is good, man. It's fallen in place for me. So the, the person-involved uh, either description or name is, again, yeah, that's great. So that, that's what's doing the – that's what's generating the, the opaque context. Um, yeah. So is God I'm, – I'm trying to think if I can, if I can run it again. Like, God – can you say God is a person then? Like isn't, isn't God a person? Doesn't that – isn't that a uh, uh, person-involved description or name? Yeah, God is a person and that person is the father. And uh, God is a person and that person is the son. And God is a person and that person is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? Uh, can, can we run it with the, the attributes again though? Is it, yeah. do you need, do you need a personal, uh, um, description on both sides of the equation, I guess? It's like God is a person and, and wisdom, God is the wise person. Uh, yeah. yeah this, this is hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know how to run the argument with the attributes. Okay. Uh, in the, in the way you're talking about, okay. but, but I do maybe something else is important to say that sometimes uh, we have arguments that, uh, that should run through even when you're substituting into an opaque context in the way that I've described. Oh yeah. 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 You mentioned that. Yeah. So, so we might want to say like the father is God. Uh, God is the omnipotent being. So the father is the omnipotent being. Mm -hmm. And here, uh, you know, we still substitute, you know, we still substitute in to God there in the first premise. Yeah. Um, and we want to affirm that conclusion. We want to think that that's not only affirm the conclusion, but think that that's the right kind of reasoning. Yeah. So, uh, in other words, whatever is true of God as such is true of each of the divine persons. Yep. Uh, and so in order to make that work, uh, I had to develop these uh, this this quick rule, right? Where, when whenever you're substituting into that opaque context that's created by a by a person involved description or a PID, um, what problematic is? So you have person involved descriptions and person uninvolved descriptions, mm-hmm. like God. So um, God, nothing about God indicates a divine person; it just indicates the divine nature. Okay. And so when you substitute into that context, you can't substitute a person involved description into that opaque context. 
Mm-hmm. The problem is when we try to substitute a person-involved description into the opaque context created by a person-involved description. Yeah. So the father is God, and then we're substituting the son, in which is a person-involved description, into that opaque context where God was. Yep. That is described by a person-involved description, and so that creates the problem. Yeah. Now, now that doesn't. Uh, that kind of rule is not uh, viol. It, the the rule is followed in so the rule is violated in the first problem, right? You, mm-hmm. um, because it says you can't do that and create and expect a valid argument. The rule is not followed in the other argument. So um, the father is God, and so you need to substitute something into God, and you have God as the omnipotent being. Uh-huh. Um, well, the omnipotent being is not a person involved description, and so yeah. substituting it in to that opaque context where God was um, does not, does not create that invalid argument. You can expect the same truth value. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, um, I think that's like, it's like an uninformative designator or something like it, it's, it's totally fun. Yeah. That's really, yeah. I like it, man. That's really cool. I, I wonder so that's awesome. You totally helped me figure this stuff out. Like, like your, oh, your view and the, the PIDs, I think is really cool. And the fact you explaining out more uh, what it's doing and why it's doing it, I think is really helpful. I wonder if someone could keep pushing back on, on the, the, um, on God and, and whether God stands for a person in and of itself. Like, is there just, and this is more, kind of just uh, uh, maybe your opinions and stuff too. Uh, it doesn't have to do as much with the paper, but I think like if there's something that it's like to be God, then we, then we do want to say God is a person. And then we get this weird, like kind of problem. Is, is there something that it's like to be God or is, is God just, does God the name, if it is a name or a description, does that just refer to the divine nature? Um, so, so God uh, is there something that it's like to be God? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, our, our thoughts about what it's like to be something. Yeah. Uh, all depend on our sort of experience. And so, um, it, it, you can like transfer those over. So you can think like, what about my experience? Can I relate to this dog over here who like really wants the tennis ball to be thrown? Yeah. What what about my experience can it relate to this this person over here who is impoverished and really needs food desperately? What's it mm-hmm. like to be that person? Um, or like you can try to like do this stuff with with the senses. I'm not sure that it makes sense to say that it, there's anything that it is like to be God, hmm. because I'm not sure what we can take from our experiences and kind of transfer it over. Yeah, I mean, there's a sense in which we can like approach we can try to be like God in certain kinds of ways. Yeah. We can try to have those qualities. Um, and there's a certain way in which it's like to be Jesus. And that's definitely the closest, right? Sure. So, sure. so um, what is it like to be God as a human? <laughs> we might yeah. get that, but what is it like to be God? Not as a human. I'm not sure there is any such thing. Well, so, so following Aquinas um, uh, from, from what I gather, you, you like Aquinas. Can we, can we predicate of God? Like we can predicate, um, analogically, right? Like there's, we could, I think we could say there's something that's like to be God though. It's, it's not like it, 
like the the creature, but we are made in his image. And so could we could we say like he's got a phenomenal consciousness or or yeah, maybe God doesn't even think in discursive thought and he, all his thoughts are a uh, current and whatever that would look like, you know, yeah, cra- right. crazy. Right. But, but, um, but still, it, there's still some analogy between us, our, us and him. Right. C- c- couldn't we say that? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, there definitely is some sort of analogy there, although um, that I'm not sure how close we can approach. I mean, yeah. same thing with the Trinity, right? Sure. So, so when you're trying to understand triune life, <laughs> what is it like yeah. to be? What's triune life like, right? Yeah. We can we can come up with all these models um, that can that can maybe like kind of help, but they always end up with these problems. And so, yeah. my reservation is that thinking about what it's like to be God, like mentally speaking, is going mm-hmm. to be that as well. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons that we have, uh, you know, Jesus and accounts of Jesus, so that the closest we should try to get is what it's like to be Jesus. Mm. Um, and that's the best we'll know. Um, so that, that, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the best that I can do there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's good. I think it's, that's a, a principled approach too. That's, that's cool. And maybe um, I should say something about, uh, you asked whether God's a person. Uh, Aquinas has an answer to this question. Mm-hmm. So he says, he uses Boethius's de- definition to be a person is to be an individual of a rational nature. Yeah. And um, he says that to be an individual can be said in, in multiple senses, right? So there's, there's the kind of individual that we are of a rational nature. So like I'm an individual instance of the rational nature that is human. And so are you. And so we're each person's and we're individuated, he thinks, by our matter. And other material stuff, including like our memories, that's included. Um, that's why he thinks, for instance, when we die and we don't have a body, we can indi- are individuated by our memories, um, and so there's like material stuff, uh, stuff generated by material things that kind of stick with us. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's, there's other ways to be individuated, right? So another way to be individuated, an, an individual of a rational nature, is to be, is to have some sort of relationship to another individual. Yeah. Right? It, even if I don't have matter, if I'm related to you in in a way that entails that there's another that is you, um, then that's a distinguishing feature. And he thinks, so Aquinas thinks that divine persons just are relations. Yeah. And so, so the persons, what it means to be a person is just to be distinct from, um, other, (laughs) um, other divine persons within, within that are all God. Yeah. And then, it's like, yeah. it, it seems like there's this problem of like having relations without relata though, right? Like, is well, there a, is relata, right? So the, yeah. the, the relata is the father and the son, right? Wait, I thought that was the relation. So there is a father and there is a son, but the mm-hmm. son is not just the, the relata between the father and the spirit, right? Do, uh, do you, do, do yes. you know what I'm saying? So the the relational ontology thing is is weird for me because it's like mm-hmm. um, there's so not a separate thing that is a relation, right? So it's not like there's a okay. capital R B. There's a, it's not like there's a separate capital R thing because for Aquinas, divine simplicity is true, right? So yeah, kind of collapse, and so the things themselves are the relation. And the the best yeah. way that I could make sense. Oh yeah, so so suppose that's true. Suppose there can be like three things that are identical to the relations themselves. Yeah. Okay. Um, but 
then consider like God as such. Uh-huh. Uh, Aquinas thinks there's a way in which God as such can be individualized from things that aren't God. Uh-huh. And that's by being incommunicable. So um, the divine nature is not communicated to the, the, the divine nature of this thing is not communicated to anything else. So nothing else is God. And so he says, is that um, an attribute? Do you, do you, like, is that a, is incommunicableness an attribute of God? I think it's a relation that we have to God, but God does not have to us. Um, so, so let me think. Okay. Cause at first it sounded like you could You're have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at first it sounded like you could have, God could have that, um, incommunicableness apart from creation. So he doesn't need creation to be individuated, but if, if it does depend on, well, it doesn't, he would say it doesn't depend on us because the relation is only one way from creation back to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a one way relation. That's right. Yeah. And the other, the other from God to us is conceptual. He'd say, right. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah. It's a, so, yeah. So anyway, so there is a sense of individual that makes it so that God is a person. God is yeah. an individual of a rational nature insofar as uh, God is not communicate that God divine nature is not communicated to anyone else. But then within God, there are there are three persons, insofar as the persons are distinguished from each other. Yeah, and so it's, are individual. It's interesting. That's good. You you helped me like see it better than than anyone else has so far. So this is awesome. Well, thanks. Um, the I have all this like anti Thomistic stuff in my head from my friends, <laughs> so I have like a bunch of people in my head arguing right now. Got it out. Um, it's so good. It's 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 really helpful. So 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 God can be a person and but he's not like composed of other persons, but within the Godhead there are three re- relations that are relata themselves. Yeah, so uh that that's right. Okay. And, and they're all identical to God. But they can be individuated ad intra, like within the Godhead. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. the way that I described it in the paper was this like grounding story? Okay, right? so, you got me. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm trying to figure. Like, I was trying to think. You know, how could Aquinas talks about significance and meaning and expressing and of the different names, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, what it means to be a relation is to signify or express opposition to another. Um, but the signification and expression seem to be things in in the head, right? Like, yeah, about words. Yeah. So I was thinking, what is it that he could have meant? Is are there are there is there a terminology or wording, or a, a term, some sort of concept that we have now that he was trying to get at, but maybe didn't have the words for? Mm-hmm. And I think grounding might be the best one. Grounding or one thing being the basis of another. Yeah. Because grounding is supposed to be this like really, um, you know, hyper intentional relationship. It's supposed to be things that that it, if the same thing is, exists in all the same worlds all the same possibilities and any, if, if any possibility in which A exists, B exists, right. Then you might think A is identical to B. Um, Well, you might still have a grounding relationship there and, you know, there could be another, you know, world where they both exist, but the grounding relationship runs the other way. Maybe. Yeah. And so like conceptually speaking, grounding is like that. And so I thought it's the sort of thing that, um, you can think about without having to think about <laughs> possible worlds. It's like more intensive than that. Yeah. And so I thought maybe this is 
maybe this sort of grounding relationship occurs within persons of the Godhead. Uh-huh. And so um, there's something about the father, like what it is to be the father grounds, uh, you know, opposition to the son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And by opposition, I don't mean like they're antagonistic. I, I just mean <laughs> right. that grounds distinction from um, this is different from there's some yep. sort of difference there, uh, some sort of grounding relationship. And the same thing is true in the son and the Holy Spirit. And so that you can like draw the arrows, you yep. know, and, and then demarcate the individuals by the arrows. Yeah. So there's one arrow from which there's two going out. There's one in which there's one going in, one going out, and there's one where both are going in. Yeah. And so, um, and so if you have this grounding relationship, then that might be what he was meaning by relation, right? So um, all he means by relation is somehow indicating opposition to another. Yes. And so when you've got a grounding B that signifies or indicates an opposition to B. Yeah. And, and then you can say, well, a is not identical to B um, because of that distinct relationship, perhaps maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. So suppose you could, right. Suppose you could. Um, Then I'm thinking of the Godhead as you've got God who's identical to a, B and C here and um a b and c signify opposition to each other and so now it's almost like you've got two kinds of things you've got the god you've got god who is identical to a and identical to b and identical to c yeah and then you've got like the kind of thing that's signified by the beginning letters of the alphabet right (laughs) the persons a b and c and the kind of thing they are is to signify opposition to each other. Mm-hmm. So the kind of thing that it is to be God is not to signify. I mean, God is like uh, uh, neutral about signifying opposition to the other, right? There's nothing okay. about being God that signifies any sort of opposition to anything else that is, uh, you know, that is, that is God. So being omnipotent doesn't signify you know, opposition to another person or anything like that. Um, and so we've got all these attributes of God as that kind of thing. And and I'm just yeah. seeing how I understand it here, right? And yeah, yeah. The model in reality is, might collapse, but um, so that's what I understand God to be. And then the kind of thing that is a person, like it, the kind of thing that, that that is A, has some sort of opposition to other things that are persons. Yes. And so that's the relations. And so when we talk about, so if we wanted to count how many things are there and we count by God, there's, there's one God, right? Because mm-hmm. there's God. And then that God is identical to a identical to B and identical to C. Um, and so all, all the other things are identical to God, right? So there's one thing there and we have nothing that God signifies opposition to God mm-hmm. doesn't signify opposition to a B or C. In fact, God is identical to a B and C. Yeah. And so when we start counting, we could count God that, that on that kind of thing, and we count one. If we start counting by persons, uh, we can start with A, right? And then we see, okay, A signifies opposition to B and C, and so it can't be B or C. It's distinct yeah. from B and C. So the Father is distinct from the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we count the Son, which is distinct from the Father and the Holy Spirit, and we count the Holy Spirit distinct from the other two. And so yeah. we count the three. And so we're not counting by sortals. Right. We're counting by things. 
-hmm. but what matters is where you start. So when you start counting by the God things, there's one, right? And there's no opposition signified. So there's no individuation from the other, from the entities that God is identical to. Right. But there is there is opposition signified be, um, between God and non-God, right? By, and yes, that's if, right. if you follow Aquinas and you say that it's a communicable, incommunicability or something. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. So okay. I'm just thinking like among the divine entities, yeah. let's, let's do that. Let's start counting there. Yeah. And you count God, you've got one. You, you start counting by persons, you've got three. And so the idea is you've got the same way of counting. You count by entities. Um, but it depends on where you start. So yes. if you start in God, you know, you've got one and you try to figure something that God's not identical, right? How, where in this the circle uh-huh. of divinity is God not identical to, right? Well, God is identical to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now you try to find out whether, you know, the God that is the Father and the God that is the Holy Spirit are somehow distinct and you don't have a reason to think that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, you know that the God is the God is the Father, the first problem, remember? God is the Father. Yeah. God is the son and you can't count them as distinct because yeah. you can't conclude with that problematic conclusion um, that makes it that, that um, sorry, hold on. So yeah, I, I'm kind of getting lost here when I, when I don't write this down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Sorry, man. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when you have a PID, then you have the, the uh, opaque context. You don't, you don't get that there are multiple gods. Yeah, right. right. There one God, one God, and it is the Father. One God and the Son. One God and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And there's no signification of oppositions to the others. Yes. Whereas, whereas when you um, when you do that with the um, Father or Holy Spirit, you get the opposition, so you count three. Yeah, I, I really, I'm, I'm so glad that you have the same, like, I have the same inclination as you about wanting to count things instead of sortals, like. Because I don't want to just get lost and just this is how we're talking, but let's get at reality. And, and so I'm really glad that you went with that direction too. And I think the 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 grounding situation, like uh, our terminology, if that's what we're going, like if that's what Aquinas was getting at, that's so cool. I think that's awesome. Um, and whatever, like someone might say, that's not. If that's what he's saying, then this is a really cool way of cashing it out. And um, Chad McIntosh has done this in his dissertation. He he just in one little section he he. Uh, talks about this this triune grounding relationship mm. which is really cool and and he even gives an argument for why it, it's just three and why you wouldn't add a fourth though um if we're going with the contra gentiles way we just say that's how god's revealed himself to be three so we don't need to but but we might yeah. be able to go a little bit above and beyond and say even in grounding relations you just need three and you can't have two or one you need three and you don't need four so this is yeah. awesome man this is really fun stuff i i I'm I'm pumped. It's like cutting edge, really cool stuff here. Thank yeah. you. Well, uh, so the idea was, um, and like I really, I really wish I'm I'm going to go back now and and read um, uh, Mike Ray's paper. So uh, Mike Ray has this paper where uh, he talks about the um, Van and Wagen's relative identity solution yeah. and why uh, it requires that you can't count by uh, things or entities. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I forget what he says there. Um, yeah. so, Forgot that question earlier, so it makes. I'm glad you asked. I need to go back and check that out. Well, I have the um, easy job. I just have to ask. I don't have to know it either. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, the the idea of publishing the paper obviously is um, is to get feedback, um, mm-hmm. to see what people think about it, and to challenge it, and hopefully refine it because uh, it does feel like it's in the early stages. Okay. Uh, it does feel like there there needs to be some things that work that are worked out, and 
there might be, I mean, some inconsistencies in the paper or the idea um, okay. that I haven't, I haven't fully fleshed out yet. And so I, I would love to see more work on it and try to find out whether the idea uh, is ultimately successful. That's awesome, man. I'm so glad to hear you say that too, because that's uh, just another great thing to acknowledge. And now, now you get to collaborate with people. Now people, instead of saying, this is the solution, I've solved it for everyone. No, like this is the beginning stages of a, of a potential solution. I think it's really good. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see more on the grounding stuff too. I, I think that's really fantastic. But this whole thing is so cool, man. The PIDs is great. Um, opaque context. Some of that, some of that language was new to me too. So um, yeah, I feel like uh, you helped me level up because of your paper. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. That, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, um, uh, I'd love to have you back on and talk about some more of your work. We talked a little bit about uh, what you wrote your dissertation on, uh, obviousness and, and moral arguments. Fantastic. Dude. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to see more from you. Um, uh, any, anything be- before I let you go here, Chris, any, any, uh, like any websites or anything where, where if people wanted to read some more of your stuff, they could go. Well, I don't have anything else on the Trinity. Um, I'm kind mm-hmm. of, a. uh, so I, I got into philosophy because I was interested in a whole, I was, I was interested in philosophy of religion, but mm-hmm. I became interested in a whole lot of other things. And one of yeah. the great things about being a philosopher is that I get to investigate tons of different stuff. And so I, uh, I read what interests me and I, I publish on that. I, I don't publish a lot on the same thing. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm really interested in, in pursuing this solution and, uh, also seeing whether it applies to things like the incarnation. Yeah. Uh, so I've been, I've been trying to think about problematics arguments with respect to the incarnation too, and trying to think about whether a solution of this sort where there's like an ad hoc solution that uses orthodox doctrine, you know, and tries yeah. to, tries to label particular things to find opaque context to prevent an argument from going through might apply in the incarnation. Um, and you might think something like, uh, so uh, my daughter uh, asked me this question. She said, uh, so did Jesus pray to God? <laughs> and, I, and I said, yeah. And she said, uh, but Jesus is God. So did he pray to himself? Mm-hmm. Right. And it was a great question. And if you try to formulate the argument that, that yields that problematic conclusion that Jesus prayed to Jesus, you're substituting, you know, into the, the opaque context, right? Yeah. And, um, that, What'd she yeah. say to that? <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> I said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you might not think that, that, I mean, it might be that Jesus is God is not an identity statement, right? Mm-hmm. So you might think that's just um, a predicative is, right? So yeah. Jesus is, uh, you, what it means for Jesus to be God is Jesus to be united to the divine nature. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have the problem anymore, right? Because you, you're not actually doing any substitution. Yeah. I, I'm currently thinking that's the right strategy. Like when, okay. when talking about Jesus, to say that Jesus is God is not to mean Jesus is identical with God, not an identity statement, um, but just to mean that Jesus is, um, you know, united to a divine person. And so um, uh, Jesus, the human, not, not Jesus, the uh, divine person, right? So I'm using Jesus to, to indicate the person. Yeah. Or Jesus to indicate that the human, uh, the human who walked on earth. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, the divine uh, or the, the human nature side. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm currently um, investigating those things to try to figure out, you know, what kind of statement that is, and and whether a solution like this is even needed in those contexts. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I would love for other people to 
give me arguments that might be problematic, even given the rules that I've stated in the uh, paper and to try to extend it to the hypostatic union as well. Yeah. Awesome, man. I, I can't remember if you're, if you're, are you in the Parker's Pensies Ponsiers, my Facebook group? Uh, yes, I am part of it. Okay, yes. awesome. So, folks, uh, if if you guys have have more uh, problems for them, um, drop them in there. I'll, I'll drop the episode in there as well, and and you can come talk to them. Come come join our Facebook group. Uh, don't spam random stuff, and I'll let you in. And uh, yeah, we can continue the conversation there. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Thanks. All right, well, uh, folks, that's gonna have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.